Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Hey, how many of you believe that he's a miracle worker? Amen? Come on. Hey, I'm going to read to you from Psalm 77. It's our theme verse for this entire series. And it's going to require for you to respond a little bit, so I hope that you're awake. Are you awake for church today? It says, your ways, God, are holy. Here's the question. What God is as great as our God? Somebody yell none. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. We have a God who loves to do miracles. And I don't know what you're coming in for today or why you're here. Maybe you came to Trunk or Treat last night. Maybe you're checking us out for the first time. Maybe you came in because somebody promised you lunch, you know, or they promised to give you some of their, you know, Reese's from last night or whatever it is. But if you need something from God today, we find ourselves in the same position as a man in John chapter five. If you've been hanging out with us for last week or so, we're in a series called I Need a Miracle. And in John chapter five, there's a man who needs something to change. Does anybody need something to change in their life today? And so in John chapter five, starting in verse one, here's the text. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Let me pause. There is a pool near the Sheep Gate. I don't know who the city planner was of this day, but that's a weird place to have a pool. Can I get an amen? I don't want to swim in a pool near a Sheep Gate. Anyway, we'll keep moving. It's surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, somebody shout here. Here. A great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed, the gossips, the selfish, the religious, the needy. I can keep going and I can hit everybody in the room. We'll leave it there. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Did you notice that it went from verse three to verse five? That's because there is no verse four. We're gonna talk about that later. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Let me read verse seven again. I'm gonna pull my title from this text. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. If you're taking notes, new studies show that 99% of people that take notes get to heaven. So you're gonna take notes today. But if you're taking notes today, the title of this message is I'm tired of trying. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of trying. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing, what you will do. And 
God, we come today. I don't know the condition of everyone in here, but I do know we all have one. I do know that we need you. I do know that we need a miracle. And so God, you promise to meet us here at the place with people of all kinds of conditions. And so God, we make ourselves available to you today. God, I pray that we would receive the word that you're going to speak. May every word that comes out of my mouth be pleasing and honoring to you. We love you. We thank you. May we leave different than we walked in. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody who believed is set. Come on, church. Everybody set. Amen. Amen. Hey, say hi to somebody to sit down before you sit down. Tell them welcome to church. Happy Halloween. Well, last week we, uh, we kicked off a series called I Need a Miracle. Last week I preached a sermon entitled, Oh No, We Ran Out of Pinot. Was that helpful for anybody? Oh no, we ran out of peanuts. I'm like, really? Yes. Go back and listen to it. Talk about how Jesus turned water into wine. And, uh, and, and what we talked about is this, there's really these different types of miracles we see Jesus do in scripture. In fact, there's really four different categories that we're kind of walking through. Not that this is a, uh, an expansive list, but for us, it's going to be helpful as we pray and ask God to move. Uh, and that is this, that last week we talked about the miracles of provision. As you study through the book of John, uh, you'll see miracles of provision. You'll see miracles of healing, which we're going to talk about today. And uh, you'll see miracles of protection and finally miracles of deliverance. Now, what is a miracle? What is a miracle? Let me define it for you. I'm going to give you two definitions you can write down. Uh, a, a miracle is, is anything that you can't do. It's when God does what you cannot do for yourself. And the purpose of a miracle is always to point you to the Messiah. Let me give you a different definition. When God intervenes in our life and his power collides with our reality. And so the purpose of every miracle, as we take a look at this passage today, what you're going to find is that on the surface, we see a miracle of healing. On the surface, last week, we saw Jesus turn water into wine. When everybody else brought out the box wine, Jesus brought out the bottle. Amen. But there is a purpose in a miracle that always points you to a deeper need that always points you to something greater. And so how many of you in the room believe that we have a miracle working God, that our God still touches people's bodies and exactly, they, they, he heals. And not only do we see this throughout the whole Bible where God heals people throughout all scripture, we also see it in the New Testament, right? And over really like 30 different times, we see Jesus actually healing people. We see, him, we see him healing uh, people that can't walk, as we looked at today. We see him people who are, who are deaf, and he unclogs their ears. People that are blind that he calls us to see. One of my favorite miracles, though, is in the book of Acts. And Luke tells us that Paul, the apostle Paul, was preaching. And Paul was preaching so long um, that the man named Eutychus fell asleep. Now, have any of you ever been listening to a sermon that was so boring in somebody else's church? Come on, somebody. <laughs> now... Paul's preaching, going on into the night, and all of a sudden, Eutychus falls asleep out of the window, hits the ground, and dies. Now, I know I've put some people to sleep with my sermons, but I don't think I've ever killed anybody, okay? So Paul, what does Paul do? He runs outside, he comes down, and he's just like, well, I killed him, but now I gotta raise him, you know? And so Paul prays, and he raises the man from the dead, and then he tells Eutychus, get back inside, I still got some things to say, right? <laughs> Uh, but one of the most controversial miracles, I would, I would say, and maybe some theologians would agree with me, is when Jesus healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. In fact, that's why many theologians believe that Peter denied Jesus three times. There we go. You got it. Come on. 
My, hey, there you go. Now you, I love my mother-in-law. I really do. Uh, it's a joke, though. It's a joke. I got to be careful with that one. But I love it because Jesus says this in John 14, 12. He says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have done. And you will see even greater miracles or even greater works than these. And so the same God that raised people from the dead, the same God that healed a body, the same God that provided, the same God that delivered is still alive and active today and chooses to do miracles as he pleases. And he chooses to use us, believe it or not, through the power of prayer to heal people. We see in the book of James where he says to pray for one another so that you may be healed. And so God actually wants to do miracles in and through us. And how many of you know that nothing is impossible with our God? Ephesians 3 tells us that he does exceedingly above and beyond all we ask, think, or imagine for his glory and his power through the work of the church. And I wanted to start out and kind of tell you about the first miracle of healing that I kind of heard of and saw as a kid. And my dad's here today. Say, hey, dad. And uh, when I was a kid, my dad had an issue. He had a condition and uh, he had a leg, one leg, uh, that my stepmom's like, don't tell that story, it's so embarrassing. Uh, and uh, his, one of his legs was about three-fourths inches too short. And uh, I went to the doctor, all that kind of stuff, and, and there was really no, no solution to the problem. All they could really do was medicate the issue. And there was a woman named Miss Sarah, and Miss Sarah was a friend of our family. She belonged to the church. And Miss Sarah was this, I still remember her uh, like yesterday. I mean, Miss Sarah was this godly woman that just had an anointing on her. Y'all know any godly women like that in the house? And, uh, and uh, I remember uh, dad telling me that when she would come in and, and he said, will you, will you just pray over my, over my condition? We pray over my leg. And so Miss, Miss Sarah looked at him and said, okay, I'm going to pray for healing and God's going to grow that leg and it's going to become the same length as the other one. But don't you close your eyes because if you close your eyes, you're going to miss the miracle. And so as she began to pray, uh, dad naturally closed his eyes. And uh, when he opened them, his leg had grown a half an inch and he hasn't had another back issue since. I got a miracle. Now, I don't know what your condition is, and I don't know today if you need a physical miracle, if you, need, if you have a physical healing issue, um, or if it's mental or spiritual. For some of you, it may, it may be. You may have a chronic illness. You, you may have some type of disease that you're praying that God would heal, and you've had it for a long time. For others of you, it may not be on the surface because how many of you know you can walk into a place like this and look great on the surface but have a need beneath it? And for you, it may be you have a, an issue uh, and it's emotional and you need to be healed emotionally. You've been emotionally abused. For some of you, it's spiritual and, and you belong to a church and now you've been spiritually hurt by the leaders of the church. Maybe for you, it's you have an issue of overeating maybe overspending. Maybe for you, it's an addiction, right? That you just can't seem to get over and you can't seem to like, you can't seem to get rid of whether it's smoking cigarettes or smoking weed or smoking crayons or whatever it is your thing is. All right. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe you're in a relationship where, you know, you, 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 you've been married for a while and you love them, but you've lost that spark. You've lost the intimacy and you've done everything you can do this far whether it was in your marriage or you went to the doctor and tried to get on medicine or you, you've prayed, you've read the Bible, you've asked people to pray for you, you've done all of that and you just come and you find yourself to a place where you're just tired of trying. Anybody been there? And so in verse three, here's what we find as we read. It says, here, somebody shout here. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. Let me tell you a secret about everybody on your row. They have a condition. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have a condition. You hide it well, but you have a condition. 
You have a condition. And this man had his condition for 38 years. That's a long time. That's longer than I've been alive. And you may have a condition that you've been dealing with. So here's why I say that. I want you to listen to this message today through the lens of something that's been going on in your life for a long time. And you've come to the point where you're just going, I'm tired of trying. I've tried it all. Pastor, I know you're going to tell me to you know, read the word and all that stuff, but I've tried it. And I, I, I'm just tired. And that's where our man, that's where he's at. 38 years going to the pool of Bethesda. And I would argue that he's tired of trying. But his, 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 his issue was obvious. His condition was apparent to the people around him. And yet Jesus walks up and asks the question in John 5, 6, do you want to get well? I just want to be like, hold up, Jesus. Did you really just ask him that question? That's like asking a homeless man if he wants 100 bucks. Of course he wants to get well. That's like asking somebody that's starving, can I take you to the Paula Deen buffet? Of course the answer is yes. That's like my wife asking if, she want, if I want to make out. Of course the answer is yes. So Jesus, why, why would you ask, like, do you want to get well? Notice the question, do you want to get well, not do you want to feel better? Because there's a difference in getting well and feeling better. In fact, you could come to church and you could be in the presence of healing. God can show up and, and you, can, you, can, you can need a miracle, but that doesn't mean you want one. You can want to change. You, you, can, you can need to change, but that doesn't mean you want to change. And so what happens so oftentimes is that we can find ourselves coming to this place. And the question that Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well, wasn't an offensive one. And Jesus was asking him a a question that addressed a broken system. And we're going to talk about that later, but for some of us, we've come to the point where we've lost hope. And, and we've just, you know, we've, we've wondered, like, can we actually get well? And, and here's what I've discovered. You know, people can come into church and, and you can have no intention of changing. It's like my trip to the dentist. I know I need to go and I'll go and the dental assistant or the dental hygienist, like she can start cleaning my teeth. But there's a little conversation that happens every time she says, Hey, I need to talk to you about something. And before they can even say it, I just look up. I said, I do not floss (laughs) and neither do you. And you can show me rotten teeth and how I'm going to get gum disease and die one day. And you can show me all the horror pictures. But at the end of the day, I will not floss. And for some of you, you come into church and you're like, you can tell me anything you want. I'll show up. Somebody told me I need to be here. It's obvious that I have an issue and a condition, but at the end of the day, I will not change. It's just how I've always been. I've been there and I'm tired of trying. Why do we get that way? Why do we come to the place where I know, I know that many of you in the room would believe that God is able to heal. In fact, when I asked you, you, you applauded. I would say that you have faith that God's willing to do it. 
But then how do we find ourselves in conditions where we just go, this will never get better. My marriage will never change. I'll never change. I mean, I've just been this way my whole life. It's just what I do. It's who I am. It's just part of, you know, it's part of what's, what's going on. And so why do, why do we get this way? Write this down. The longer a condition exists, the more discouraged you often become. Because this is not a small issue. This is an issue that you, that he, for 38 years, has been dealing with. And the longer it, it exists, the longer you deal with it, the more discouraged you come because you've tried it all. You've tried to do this stuff. And if there was a way you could fix it, you would have already done it. And what happens is sickness is cyclical. And what I mean is when you have a condition and there's something going on in you and you've tried everything you know to do and you got well for a little bit, but then a year later, you're back in the same old pattern with the same old condition once again. Now, not only do you question if God can do it, now you got to deal with the guilt of I tried it and it didn't work. Anybody? And, and so the longer a condition exists, the more discouraged you become. Here's the second thing. The longer a condition exists, the more excuses you tend to make. And so let's look at verse seven. He says this. He says, do you want to get well, sir? The invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. What do, what do we see him do? Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he says, I have nobody. And every time I go down, somebody else gets in front of me. I just imagine Jesus thinking, I did not ask you all of that. <laughs> do you... Do you want to get well? And see what happens is we, we and I'm not, now listen, I'm not trying to poke fun at, at this guy because I'm going to talk to you about why he gave the excuse and why I believe many of you do too on why you can't change. And the truth is, is that we've all made excuses for issues far less than our boy who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Do you want to change? Well, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't have the experience. You, do, do you want the job? I, I don't, well, I don't have the degree. I don't have what's necessary. Everybody else kind of just, they get ahead of me. They apply before me. They, they get the job. They get the promotion. Do, do you want to get well? Well, you know, I tried to get well, but like I tried that medicine. That didn't work. And then I went there and that didn't work. And then I went to counseling and I thought that was, and that helped for a little bit. But then I just found myself in the same old pattern. And what happens is, is it's easier to make an excuse on why you can't get well, then confront the condition on what will make you well. And see, what we have to understand about this is he, Jesus says, do you want to get well? And, and then it goes to verse seven, and, it, and he says, this is, this, everybody goes down into the pool. I told you earlier that there's no verse four. Look at your Bible. If you have a Bible, uh, it goes from verse three to verse five. Why? It says, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Verse five, skips verse four. Why did it skip verse four? Well, because verse four wasn't in there. And, and to understand, in order to understand what he's talking about, about needing to get to the pool, later on, the, the, the manuscripts later on decided to insert something that God didn't say, but that is implied. And that was, there was a historical belief that there was a pool in Bethesda and every now and then an angel would come down and the angel would stir up the water and the first one in the water got healed. And that was their belief. 
But it was left out because God didn't say that. And let me just pause here. Because I think sometimes when we get caught up making excuses, it's easier to insert a verse that God never said. It's, It's easier just to quote random scripture than to deal with the problem. And so though it may be true, that wasn't the point. It's not in there because God didn't say it. Though we, we know that that was their belief because there was a system that taught them the first one in wins. Religion. See, here's the last reason I'll give you why we have such a hard time is because the longer the condition exists, the more you learn to compensate. You just get used to it. You get used to the condition you're in. And you just kind of learn to deal with it, especially if it doesn't affect other people, especially like my pinky. That's broke. I've had it like this for 10 years. But who cares? It's my left pinky. I'm right-handed. I don't even need that pinky. Cut it off. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And the truth is about some of you, you got some conditions that you don't think affect other people. For some of you, you may be a high-functioning alcoholic. And, and you, nobody feels that at work because at the end of the day, they don't really care if, if what you do at home. They don't care about your personal life. As long as you get there, you give them the results they want and, and you'll do what they ask you to do. It doesn't matter that your family feels that at home. But rather than confronting the condition, it's easier for me to just be like, oh, well, only God can judge me. Hold up. Right? It's easier just to like throw a verse in there to make yourself feel better. And then you just learn to compensate it. You never address it. This happens all the time in relationships where you're married and you actually don't really, you're not connected with the person you're married at at all. And rather than getting to the root of the issue and going, what's, what's going on? Where's the miscommunication? What, what, what happened? What are we doing? And instead of that, you may tell you how we compensate, especially if you're a parent, we just fill our schedule with what our kids want to do. And it's the reason why divorce rate is so high when empty nesters happen. When the kids leave the home, all of a sudden, what you thought was, well, we'll just deal with it later. We're too busy to mess with this right now. So like, you know, when our kids are gone one day, then, 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 we'll, then we'll do it. The problem is, is now you just got 18 years of disconnection and you're looking at your partner and you don't even know who they are anymore. Can I just tell you, if you're a parent, the thing your kid needs the most is to see you love your spouse the way God intended you to love them. They are first. And when they watch you, love their spouse. They watch you go, hey, listen, that's important, but you know what? You're going to move out in 18 18 years. I got to live with this person the rest of my life. I'm going to invest here, right? And so what happens, we just learn to kind of compensate for for what we do. I don't know why you came in. I don't know what, what you came in for. You can come to a place like this and you can know you need it, but it's easier just to make an excuse on why you can't change. And here's what happens, especially as we talk about miracles. How many of you have ever prayed and asked God for a miracle and he didn't do it? Anybody? Where you're like, God, I, I need you to change this. And God didn't change it. It'll rock you. I, I told you about the first miracle I, I witnessed and saw. But let me tell you about one, another, another situation, another condition. One day I was throwing baseball with my little brother and he started seeing doubles at the age of 12. Took him to the hospital, found that there was fluid building up on his brain that was affecting his vision. 
So they insert a shunt to drain the fluid off of his brain down into his stomach. And as he went back for a checkup, they found a very rare tumor on his brain. 12 years old. Vanderbilt had really never seen anything like that. There was only a couple cases in the world where this type of cancer even existed. They didn't know how to treat it. And at best, they gave us a couple of months for him to live, 12 years old. And as you would probably do for your child too, uh, my parents decided to go down to Houston, to MD Anderson Hospital there, where a doctor thought that he may have a solution to do a trial and do a stem cell uh, transplant on the back of his head. And, uh, and so we went down to Houston, and what one, one hospital said would be six weeks turned into another two years, praise God. And during that two-year period, I remember walking, mm, I'm gonna try to keep it. I remember walking uh, into the room, and the brother that used to sneak out with me to throw baseball in the church parking lot um, was, had his hands lifted, praising God, singing Mighty to Save. So the doctors continued to work on the issue and the condition to try to figure out what to do. And they brought it to the point where they were close to surgery and he had to go about two weeks without any kind of medication treatment, without having a seizure. And a couple days before he was supposed to get that transplant, he had another seizure, which then brought him into an induced coma. And, and, and we tried everything. The doctors tried everything. We had pastors come in and pray. We had Miss Sarah come in and pray. And, um, and he never woke up from that induced coma. And at 14 years old, lost his life to the battle of cancer. And that'll rock you. It will cause you to question a couple things. God, are you real? Are you good? And do you even care? And now you may go, well, why then did God allow that to happen? He didn't deserve that. You're right, he didn't. And let me give you the honest answer. I don't know. And so how can I stand on a stage and tell you today that God is still a healer? He is still a miracle worker. You may tell you how? Because my faith is not based on what God can do. My faith is based on who he is. My faith isn't based upon him performing miracles. Though he is a miracle worker, his primary mission was to save our souls. And so if he doesn't do what you know he can do, what you think he should do, He's already done enough because he went to the cross. My faith ain't built on what he can do. My faith is built on what he already did. And so if he never does another thing, he's already done enough. And so I thank God my family's in church today. I thank God that we didn't turn away from him because he's still good and worthy of our praise. And somebody needs to hear that. God hasn't left you. But here, here's the hard truth that we have to grasp is that our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. And let me just say this about my brother. Though I wish he was still here on earth, I would take God healing his soul over his body where he is in heaven any day. But you have to get it. Our God heals, but he doesn't heal all the time. Why? Let's talk about a couple of reasons why 
Jesus chose to not heal, to not perform miracles. I'm gonna give you a couple of them, and I'm not trying to assume the heart of God, but what you see in scripture is number one, he didn't perform miracles to prove himself. You ever prayed that prayer? Where you're like, God, if you let me get an A on this test, I will worship you forever. You've been there. God, if you just please let it happen, I promise you I'll stop. Says this, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. Why? What was their intention? To test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Can he perform the miracle to prove himself? Well, yeah, of course he can. But he says, you just trying to test if I'm good? Satan's like, hey, throw your down off that cliff and see if the angels come rescue. He's like, "Uh uh-uh. I can do it, but I'm only going to do what God told me to do. So he doesn't perform miracles to prove himself. Here's number two. Um, He never intervened with God's ultimate plan. Here's why that's hard. We don't always know God's ultimate plan. But Jesus says, I'm not going to intervene with what God wants to do long term, what his big plan is for our life. And sometimes it frustrates us because we don't know, we don't know the plan. But there's some comfort here. In Matthew 26, it says, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that described what must happen? See, when he says this, it's right after this moment where Judas comes and betrays Jesus and kisses him on the cheek. You remember that story? That the guards know who to take to crucify. And and in that moment, when when Judas comes up and gives him a kiss, Peter, my guy, the gangster preacher, pulls out a sword and aims at the guy's head and misses and cuts off the guard's ear. And what does Jesus do? To the guy that was about to arrest him, he goes over, picks up the ear. He's like, my bad, Pete's crazy. Here, put it back on his head. Now, if I was the guard, I'd be like, I'm following that guy. Y'all can arrest him. That's my dude. But then in the next moment, Peter goes, why don't you save yourself? And that was his response. I could. Matter of fact, if I called down angels from heaven right now, God would do it. But if I did it, it would intervene with his ultimate plan. So arrest me. Number three, where there was no faith. When Jesus went into his hometown, we see this in Mark 6, he was there and everybody began to question him and was like, aren't you Joseph's son, the carpenter? Oh, we've heard about you doing stuff, but you ain't nobody. You, you, you don't, you're, 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 not, you're not anybody. You're not really the Messiah. You're not really, you're just a, you're just a kid. I've known you since you were little. I, I, I knew what you did when you was little, except Jesus didn't do nothing when he was little. <laughs> and it says in Mark 6, 6, he says, He did no miracles there because of their unbelief. See, here's what you need to write down. Our faith moves his heart. You see this all throughout the New Testament. You see when there's a man paralyzed in Mark chapter two, where the four friends bring him on the mat and get him to Jesus and dig through the roof and lower him down. And what does Jesus say? Seeing their faith, looked at the man, said, son, your sins are forgiven. Our faith moves his heart. And did you know there's only two times in all of scripture where Jesus was amazed? And it was on faith. The first one was in Mark 6. 6, he says, he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed that they had no faith. And the second time was with a centurion servant in Luke 7, 
where his servant was, was sick and he calls for Jesus and he's like, hey, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. If you just say the word, you don't got to touch him. You don't got to see him. Jesus, just speak like you spoke the stars into existence. Speak and my servant will be healed. And here's what he says. He says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed turning to the crowd that was following. He said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Our faith moves his heart. And so what if you have faith, but you also have doubt? What if you go, God, I know you can. I believe you can. I have faith that you can do it, but I don't really know what to do. Reminds me of another story when a father's son was sick and he says, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What do you want? Mark 10, Jesus asked that same question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And blind Bartimaeus said, I want to see. The truth is you may come in and you don't even know what you want. I have good news for you. This man didn't either. If you were to keep reading, in fact, when the guards would question this man because Jesus did a healing on the Sabbath and you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, and this man is carrying his mat, which the religious leaders would have called work. They said, who healed you? He said, I don't know. So healing isn't dependent upon knowing. Oh, God can heal you if you don't know him. So what do you want? See, when this man started to give his excuse, he says, Jesus, I have no body. I can't get in. And every time somebody comes down, they get in front of me and, and I can't, I can't get healed. I'm tired of trying. Jesus calls BS. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's BS. I know that offends some of you. You're like, what? I don't know what BS y'all are thinking about. He, Jesus calls bad system. Broken system. Broken system. The man says, I can't do it. That may have been true before. You didn't have anybody before today. You didn't have anybody before you came here to the place where Jesus is. But Jesus says, you got somebody now? He says, broken system. You see what this man would have believed was verse four. That wasn't in there because that would have put him at a disadvantageous place that he couldn't get the healing because he couldn't get to the pool. And, and so, so what this man believed and what some of you are believing today is that you have to do something. You're tired of trying. And here this man is and he says, I've tried. I've tried to crawl. I've tried to roll. But every time I get to that pool, somebody else gets in in front of me and I can't get my healing. And Jesus says, uh-uh, bad system. Because that was what used to be. That's what you think. You think it's about what you can do. You think it's about religion. That's why you're making excuses on why you can't get healed. But how many of you know that Jesus didn't come just for religion? He came for you and I to have a relationship. And what Jesus is establishing here on the Sabbath day, he's saying, you think that that is going to be the thing that heals you. You think by trying to get into the water, that's going to heal you. Here's the problem. 
you can't get into the water, but good news, the water came to you. John 4 says, I am the living water, and whoever drinks of me will never go thirsty again. Here this man is, says, I can't do it. I'm tired of trying. I can't get in the water. And Jesus says, you don't have to because the water is here. The water is coming to you. Aren't you thankful that, listen, our condition may keep us from getting to God, but our condition will never keep God from getting to us. Isn't that good news? He says, you're not going to find rest there. Rest isn't something you do. Rest is a person. I am the Sabbath. I am where you find rest. This is the place where there were five colored porches, five, the number of grace. Jesus says, it's not about you trying. It's about you going, will you trust him? Some of you are in here and you're like, I'm tired of trying. And Jesus' question is, will you trust me? That my grace is sufficient for you? That you don't have to, you don't have to be the first one in to win. You don't gotta outperform everybody. You don't, you don't have to do a bunch of good stuff to get God's attention. See, prosperity would teach you that you prosperity teachers will tell you that. Well, you didn't get your miracle because you didn't do enough. You didn't obey enough. Something must be wrong. <laughs> this guy didn't even know who Jesus was. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, it's not about what you do. It's about what I've done. And in this instance, it's about this is who I am. And this is what I do. I extend grace to people with conditions that cannot change it. And the truth is, is we all have a condition, maybe physical, maybe emotional, but the condition we all have in common is sin. And there is only one way that that sin is washed away. And it's not by you climbing into the pool. It's about the living water, Jesus Christ, saving you. And that's why you're here. Because you have a condition and you're tired of trying. Good news. Trust him. Trust him. I can't promise you that your circumstance will change. But if you will trust Jesus, I can promise you that you will. And if I have to be like Paul and live with a thorn in my flesh all the rest of my days on earth, I will stand and declare your grace is sufficient for me. For your power is made perfect in my weakness. So if I have to live with this condition, but I get Christ, give me Christ. And so will you stand with me? I'm gonna give you the opportunity for those of you who have some conditions and you're here and you've been trying for too long. You've been trying to change it. What's this mean for your marriage? I know it sounds pastoral to just say trust Jesus, but what I, what I mean by that is you will trust Jesus with your spouse and with your life and with your finances and with your decisions and with your kids, if you will, if you, if you will allow him to be the Lord that he is. See, many people want Jesus as Savior. They don't want him as Lord. They, they want him as lifeguard. They don't, want to, they don't want him to teach him how to swim. They just want to jump in a pool and do whatever they want. And Jesus, save me when I need saving. 
but that's just you trying to address the condition when God is trying to change your heart. And so when, when Jesus becomes Lord of your life, he puts a new heart and a desire in you. And your love for your spouse, love for your kids, love for your job, heck, even your love for yourself changes because now you see them, you see you how God sees you. So I can't promise you that the circumstance will change, but I can promise you, you trust Jesus with your life, you can. Maybe the condition isn't somebody else's fault. Maybe it starts here at the place of grace. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you do. I thank, I thank you that you're a miracle worker. I thank you that you have all power. You have all authority. With just one word, everything can change. I thank you that you didn't wait for us to deal with our condition. I thank you that you didn't allow our condition to keep you from rescuing us. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. God, and I pray that you would set people free from the broken system of religion that tells them to try harder. That they would trust that you have already done the work on the cross. So I know you're tired of trying, but today you can find rest by trusting Jesus. And so God, right now I pray for my, I pray for my family here. I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice that says today I wanna to trust Jesus. I'm tired of trying. And if that's you, I'd love for you to pray this prayer with me. And church, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God and that God raised him from the grave, I want you to pray this with them because the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. That when we pray for one another, we can be healed. And so if that's your prayer today, or if you're a believer, will you pray this out loud? Say, God, I love you, but I'm tired of trying. I believe you died on the cross for me and resurrected from the grave so that I can be forgiven and set free. I trust you. If that was your prayer today for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to God, if that was your prayer right now with every head bowed and eyes still closed, will you just lift up your hand for me and say, today I surrendered my life to Jesus. Today I made that decision. I want to get well. I want to be made whole. If that's, your hand, if that's you right now, lift your hand up. Yeah. God, I thank you for what you do. But more importantly, I thank you for who you are. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody believe this, said, amen. amen. Hey, put your hands together. Everybody made that decision today. Come on. Hey, we're gonna close. We're gonna close with a song that we wrote for moments like this, where you are wanting a miracle and you need a miracle and you're believing that he can, you're believing that he will. But even if he doesn't, you're still gonna praise him because his dying breath brought us life. And so let's give God his breath back. Let's declare by faith today that he is still good. He is still working. He is still able. We're still gonna believe him and we're gonna praise him with everything in us. Come on, if that's your, if that's your declaration, they put your hands together. Let's sing this together.
Thank you so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church. Have a blessed day.